Welcome to the Gift of Addiction. My name is Bertie Fagan. My guest today is Chris Parker. Chris is, like me, in recovery from drugs and alcohol. He is also the host of a podcast, Grappling Real, where he draws insight from different guests into fighting techniques from wrestling, jiu-jitsu and judo. It's a podcast essentially about those three fighting styles and how they can learn from each other. Chris is on, on the path to compete for the U.S., in judo at the Olympic Games. He already has a stellar career in uh, judo and wrestling and jiu-jitsu behind him. But more importantly, for the purposes of, of, of this podcast, The Gift of Addiction, Chris is a recovered or recovering alcoholic. And uh, he's on the program to talk about his experience um, and his recovery. So how are you today, Chris? Great, Bertie. Thanks for having me on the show, man. Man, I'm really excited to have you on. Thanks for joining me. Uh, why don't we just get straight into your career? What what age you started drinking, and um, and how and from there, what, what how it sort of spiraled out of control? All right. So, um, you know, back in high school, I was I was a pretty focused athlete, so uh, I tended to stay away from the uh, party crowd, but. The first time I got drunk was uh, actually my mom. She bought me and uh, my friend like a five liter box of wine, you know. So uh, that's what actually introduced me to alcohol. And I was probably about uh, 16. And, you know, her belief was, you know, as long as you stay at home and I can monitor you, not out drinking and driving, then she felt like that was okay. And, uh, you know, like I said, I was a focused athlete, so I didn't really mess too much around with alcohol. And uh, both of my parents are alcoholics, so um, it wasn't something that was attractive to me. And I, I was swore that I would never grow up to be like them, actually. So um, when I got to college, uh, I didn't have the same bond with my wrestling coach. So that's when I found myself in the crowd with the party party guys you know uh looking for something to uh, uh fill up my time that was enjoyable and uh that's when i started drinking more and i ended up failing out of college my first semester because uh i went to a division one wrestling school and took up a dual major in computer and electrical engineering and uh, i didn't realize that how difficult that was going to be so I uh, I quickly failed out because I chose wrestling over going to class. So um, I, I didn't have the grades to continue. So I, I came back. I went to Drexel University in Philadelphia. And I came back to Delaware where I grew up and uh, moved back in with my mom. And I was like, all right. So I started over. And uh, the habits I created at college from partying with my friends stuck with me and uh over that period of time in my 20s it just got progressively worse um my failures from college never left uh because i i was a champion and wrestler so i had uh these high expectations for myself and failing out of college was never something i expected was going to happen so when that that happened i didn't know how to handle it and uh 
I've, I've directed my energy towards alcohol because it made me feel better about that particular um, setback in life and so on and so forth. It got progressively worse. So, so how, long, how long did you last at, at college before you left? Was that in your first year there? Yeah, so I was, uh, I was there half a semester. I've been to four different colleges mm. and uh, I've only completed one semester out of all four of them. Right. And so did you, and, uh, did you get involved with, with drugs as well or was it just generally just alcohol? I, I did get involved with drugs. I actually uh, met some people at the college that were uh, drug dealers. And when I came back to Delaware, I saw there was a market for that. Uh, and so I went up and got different things uh, like marijuana at the time was uh, it's still illegal in Delaware, but it's being legalized in other parts of the United States. But, you know, uh, I tried selling cocaine. Um, I started doing that. So I stopped selling it because I was like, if I don't have it, I won't do it. And, uh, you know, he sold uh, ecstasy up there, you know, some of the guys up there. Mm. And I didn't really mess with that because I saw early on the types of people I was attracting with that. So uh, I mainly stuck with alcohol because it was socially acceptable, easy to get. You know, a lot of my friends drank. So experimented with a lot of different things, but I primarily stuck with alcohol. Mm. So did, what, what age were you when, you when you first realized that you might have a problem with, with drinking? Um, as soon as I failed out of college at, in Philadelphia, um, it struck me that I was extremely afraid that I was just like my parents. You know, so I, immediately I knew. And how old were you then? Um, I think I was, see, almost 19. Okay. So how, how much longer did, did your drinking career go for before you decided to seek help? I mean, that's probably one of the reasons of this podcast is so that I can uh, hopefully reach an audience where people who are struggling with alcoholism or drug addiction um, realise that no matter how far down you go, you can always there's always a way out. So that's what I'm trying to get from you, Chris, is, is your story about, you said that you were 19 when you first realized that you, that you, that you might have a problem and how much, uh, how many more years did you continue to drink even though you, you realized that you were powerless over, over this problem? It, it took me over a decade to really find the help I was looking for because a lot of what I tried to do was um, find it myself with um, self-help books. I would look at uh, like motivational videos or inspirational videos. I would, uh, I would look in all the places that I thought I could. I went back to my old wrestling coach for guidance, but he didn't have any of those problems. So, you know, the people I thought, could help me that I looked up to the most in, in life. They didn't have those problems. So it was difficult for them to help me in the way that I needed it. And, uh, you know, I never been court ordered to go to AA and I've, I had been multiple times and where I struggled with was there's a difference between like 
really strong uh, uh, leadership and effective uh, people in a meeting and like and that there there's some meetings that aren't very don't thrive very well so I was I felt like I was surrounded by a lot of those meetings where people were just um, sober but they weren't very good at helping other people get sober you know so it to me it was an environment where people weren't drinking but I didn't feel like I was getting better and I would eventually relapse and that was a uh, a periodical process over years you know it took me a long time I actually moved from Delaware to Maryland mm. and I found some very healthy meetings with people who are very effective at getting to what my problem was and helping me overcome that so it took me a long time to get to the roots of my problem to be able to recover from what was emotionally compromising me uh, consistently to want to go back and drink. So the 12 step programs that you're referring to that was that the only, that was the only solution for you that worked. You said that, you know, you tried getting help from people like your wrestling coach, but you, you mentioned your parents were alcoholics. did you, um, obviously couldn't get much help from them. That's correct. There's, there's, they're still active alcoholics to this day, man. <laughs> sure. Yeah, right. So how did you get introduced to the 12-step um, program? I mean, did, I mean, actually, before we go there, why don't you tell me, like, there must have been, you know, so you're 19, you said it's another 10 years of um, heavy drinking before you, you know, you actually started to do anything about it. You know, what were some of the things that were happening in, in your life? I know a lot of people don't actually try and get help until they hit their so-called rock bottom. Did you have any rock bottom moments that forced you to say, Hey, this is a, this is a serious problem. I better do something. I did. I did. Um, I, I was, I was a, like a periodical binge drinker. So I had like in, in sequential moments where uh, things would be going good in my life. And then, it would start to spiral out of control, you know, being emotionally compromised, sort of hitting the bottle heavy and hard. And then something, you know, bad would happen. Like uh, uh, I've, I've woken up in three different hospitals in uh, three different states and, you know, not known when I woke up, not knowing how I got there, you know, and uh, that might've been the, over the course of a year and a half, but, you know, waking up in a hospital and not knowing how you got there, but knowing that you got there because you got so drunk, you blacked out is a, it's a, a scary kind of moment. You know, it feels kind of like a dream, but you know, it's not, you know, when you look down, you see an IV in your arm and nobody around you, you're like, what the hell is going on with my life? You know? So, um, you know, working my way to get away from that, like through desperation. And that's what led me in the direction of AA because anybody I talked to, uh, regardless if they could give me good advice or help me or not, like they, they usually they would mention like, well, look, you know what? I, I'd really love to help you, but the only way, place I know people, you know, get 
sober and you know get away from alcohol is aa and they're like have you tried that and i'm like yeah i've been there man like it just it, that environment doesn't feel right for me and uh you know i just kept having enough desperation where i was like i need to i absolutely need to get alcohol out of my life and uh you know there's there's been times where i've just stayed in bed for 36 hours straight you know like i force myself to get up to use the bathroom and then maybe drink some water only to just lay back down and like uh dwell in my own misery and and just be so unhappy and depressed with my own life that i didn't even want to get out of bed i didn't want to talk to anybody you know i just uh it's just a, a dark place you know so that's the type of stuff that led me to finding a solution at all costs and i knew at aa like even if there weren't there weren't people i felt like it absolutely helped me at those meetings i knew that the people the majority of the people that went to those meetings did not drink and i was like i need to be around those people because i'm weak by myself and uh you know at the time i was living with my father and he was drunk all the time and i was like i can't be here you know i'm in like a year lease with this guy and uh you know he's he's triggering me to want to go to the liquor store myself so i was like i have to better my environment and find healthy people to get around and uh people who have my problem who don't drink and have overcome it so that's what really drove me in that direction because the only place i knew i could go yep and they, uh, that's what they refer to it as a disease that centers in the mind. It's what, you know, I don't know if you've heard the saying, but stinking thinking, which mm -hmm. leads to the drinking. Um, so you, you tried uh, without going to AA just to, to detox yourself from, from the sound of it. And, and you said that was unbearable, but did, you know, they say in a lot of alcoholics um, and drug addicts that they have this, the mental obsession and the physical craving that that comes with with the disease is that something that you experienced um and you know was that something that the 12 step programs um helped helped you deal with absolutely. if you had it yeah absolutely and uh that's one of the things that took me a long time to understand um when i moved from delaware to maryland the the meetings I got around, the people I got around were able to sit down. And when we went through the 12 steps, they were, they were able to explain that to me that, uh, that the disease was in the mind uh, of like picking up the, what is it that's making you pick up that first one? Because after you pick up the first one, that's when the phenomenal craving takes over. So we need to stop it before that, you know, phenomenal craving. So um really addressing those emotional triggers that makes me feel like i want to uh escape you know i feel like i want to numb these emotions rather than face them and uh that's what i i was repeated repeatedly doing um and was having a hard time um understanding because that's why I, I felt like i was in a fight where i didn't understand uh, my opponent, you know, 
Like I didn't have weapons to fight somebody who had weapons, you know. So, so I this, getting... this, in this case, the opponent is your, is your mind. Is that right? <laughs> yes, <it's, laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, I, I can, I can relate to that because I, I know exactly what it's like. And f for me, Chris, the, uh, you know, the, the pain of the thinking has in in early sobriety was was awful because i don't know about for you but i never um i never was good at dealing with my feelings like life on life's terms i all that's why i only have learned this myself in in recovery is that that the reason why i drank and used drugs was because i couldn't i was not happy living in my own skin i was really uncomfortable for for most of my life since you know my early teenage years right through until my mid to late 30s until i just just started to do something about it uh is is that something that you experience is is the difficulty of living life on life's terms is that something you discovered while while doing the 12 steps absolutely absolutely you know becoming less self-centered and uh, expecting everything to revolve around me and go my way uh, was a huge perspective change, you know, and really embracing life on life's terms, as you say. It so, was, uh, yep. It was just, it was just liberating to let go of that control, and uh, I think that made a tremendous difference. It isn't it one of the biggest revelations that when you when you come into recovery and do do a twelve step program that you you know you're forced to deal with uh, the reasons why you drank because you know only in step one does it actually mention alcohol. <clears throat> the the remaining eleven steps are are largely about dealing with your character defects and and resentments and making amends and um you know selfishness self-centeredness that's you know the core of most addicts and um alcoholics problems i mean it certainly was for me but a large component of the program as you would know chris is uh spirituality and you know i know a lot of people that i've known get get turned off when they see the word god up on the calico uh there is is that something how did how did you deal with that did you did you have a um a religious upbringing and what was your attitude towards you know having a spiritual experience well i i did have a religious upbringing uh in catholicism my my, my parents drug me to church and uh you know they let me decide after they got divorced you know, they went less and less and they kind of let me decide if I wanted to continue going and I, and I didn't. And I developed a relationship more so with what a power greater than myself is what they call it in 12 steps a lot of times. Um, but the universe, like I knew there was something bigger than me, more powerful than me that connected all this, that was highly intelligent, that created this world and and the, the, the life on it. And uh, I believed in that. And I've in the past tried to seek that out and connect to it. Uh, more when I was in high school on uh, a focused path of, you know, 
being a high performance athlete, I had a much stronger uh, connection with something like that. And then I got out away from it, you know, and replaced it with, you know, everything that caused me problems, you know, um, which is more self-centric reality. And I would say that I've been redirected. My my perspective has been realigned with what I felt to be true um, early on in life. And my, my daily relationship with some, a power greater than myself has been, uh, you know, a key to really living a, a more fulfilled life. Not that my life is perfect or, you know, and I never have struggle, struggle or problems or troubles or like negative emotions by all means. It's, it's what helps me overcome and deal with those things in an, in a positive way now. And, uh, you know, we talk about the 12 steps. It's, it's, I feel like it's a self-development program for self-discovery to understand something greater than yourself. So, uh, that's, what's made such a difference in my life. And, uh, Russell Brand, he, he wrote a book, you know, uh, on recovery and it's phenomenal. And he, he identifies uh, addiction in multidimensional ways, you know, from all the way from technology to food. Oh. And, uh, you know, I believe he's correct in saying that everybody could use a self-development, self-discovery program, you know, to, uh, to analyze who they are, where they're at and where they really want to go in life, you know. I don't think uh, us as people, at least the ones I know, uh, don't do that hardly enough, if at all. I I totally hear you. I've I've, I've read that book and um, I love it too. And I love his whole approach to to recovery. Uh, I I can share with you, Chris, that I too had a Catholic upbringing and went to a Catholic uh, school here in Sydney and. Uh, you know, by the time I left high school, I'd had, you know, enough of Jesus shoved down my throat that I wanted to spew up, you know, all over the church and the, <laughs> the, the whole concept of, of religion and spirituality. And so I was about 17 when I left high school. And then for the next 20 years, I was uh, absolutely no, didn't even turn my mind to, to a higher power, God, or whatever, and uh, when I came into the twelve-step fellowships that I've entered now, I um, have what I like about it the most is that you get to choose your own concept of a higher power. It's not necessarily the you know the God that you may have um, rejected as as a teenager or anything. And so, I just wanted to ask you: have have you embraced? Because I know a lot of you know what they call the older sober members encourage you to to you know live a life based on spiritual principles and you know have a daily program of action which which includes prayer and meditation is that something that you've incorporated into your life absolutely absolutely on a daily basis it uh it's a way i stay connected to what I, I believe to be the source, you know, and uh, it's important. It's an important reminder for me to uh, stay connected to something bigger than me. And uh, it puts me in the right frame of mind 
when I when I start out my day and when I lay my head on the pillow at night. And and one of the other major components, as you would know, is uh, to to actually pass the message on or to try and help others. Have you had any success in doing that or have you been able to sort of direct people in need in the right direction? Well, that's it's one of the motivations behind creating this uh, Grappling Real podcast. Yep. Because I noticed when I went in that direction of alcohol addiction was when I had a lack of guidance in my life with, you know, clear goals that I was working towards and people in my, in my life and involved in, in that, that really cared about me. So as a way to go back and help the people that are like myself, I wanted to create a stronger community, uh, grapplers from wrestling, jiu-jitsu and judo to have a community where people felt like a family when people like myself you know grew up with parents who were alcoholics who didn't necessarily have that strong connection at home uh, that's the whole the whole point of creating a podcast to create this community to create that family like uh like i felt in some of the aa rooms that i've been in you know full acceptance um you know, it doesn't matter what, what you've done or where you've been. It's uh, who you want to be today and how we're going to help you get there. That's, that's excellent. So how, how has your life changed since you've, in general, I mean, have you, you know, you took, talked earlier about the, we talked earlier about the disease that centers in the mind, the, the thinking, how has your life changed, if at all, from, adopting the the um the program that you've that you've come into it's uh it's made a 180 transformation in in my life you know um everything that i was looking for you know as far as happiness and fulfillment you know which i think is something everybody's really looking for um but it's just easier to uh really crave it when you have the opposite continually present in your life uh which is misery depression like you know self-pity all those things that really make the way you're living uh uncomfortable and uh distasteful like you're just like so you're just so desperate for a change and then going through the 12 steps and being around a, a healthy group of people to help me get there um, has changed me from the inside out and it's taught me how to look at myself different it's taught me how to think you know in a healthy through a healthy process to understand the things that are happening around me better and uh, accepting you know like you had mentioned life on life's terms and uh, working with the universe or you know, trying to find out what the universe is trying to teach me through these, um, these life experiences, you know, and really paying attention to how I can grow in every moment in life. And, uh, you know, trying to pass those, those lessons on to other people. It's a difficult process though, isn't it? Because most of us come into, uh, recovery, totally 
defeated, but we also still cling on to this idea or this, we still have huge egos, you know, you know, the saying that we have low self-esteem and and huge egos. And so then when you come into a program that asks you to be accountable and take responsibility for all of your actions to getting to where you are, was that a difficult um, process for you to initially comprehend and then uh, work into your life, you know, admitting your faults, basically admitting them to yourself and, and to others about, you know, where, why you'd got to where you had in your life. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, like <laughs> I had, uh, um, 70 different jobs and, you know, over the course of maybe 15 years or something like that, you know, from uh, from working for different people and just being frustrated with the environment or my boss and just, you know, saying F off, you know, or whatever. And uh, all the, the bad relationships or the all the relationships I, I personally soured through my behavior, my mentality, you know, really um, t- taking responsibility for all that and realizing that I'm the one who created that life for myself, uh, being that type of person, and then having to go back and uh, make amends to different people and, uh, and it, it, it's changed me internally because of those actions for me to be able to do that. I've had to humble myself in a way that, um, you know, unless you, unless you do it, you won't know, man. Like, you know, it really takes a lot of courage for one. Um, but once, once doing something like that, it really, it set me at ease and given, given me a peace of mind that I've done everything I can to, um, to take ownership and make amends of all the all the things that I've done in life that uh, I might have messed up, you know, and uh, it, it's been able me to start life fresh and anew and uh, kind of reinvent myself the way that I, I want to to be. And uh, yeah, it's just a, a totally new uh, me and, and in life. And And isn't it ironic, at least I found it really, um, ironic to, to begin with that you know they say that the the core of all our problems especially alcoholics and addicts is that we are extremely self-centered and selfish and it almost seems like the ego will, will convince us that of course we need to look after our own needs first we need to take care of number one because you know it's a dog eat dog world out there and if we don't look after ourselves you know, we're, get, we're just going to be run over. But I don't know if this is your experience, but what I've found now is that the way out of the pain, and this is what the 12 steps have taught me, the way out of the suffering that we feel uh, is to constantly think of others and to not, you know, to get me out of the way of me, basically. Is that something that you've experienced? Absolutely. Absolutely. And for me, um, 
one of the, the things that stands out in that way is uh, when I think of others, like I would be very self-pitying and woe is me. And I just think about my own problems. And what helps me get outside of myself is understanding that everyone else has problems too, you know, and really being aware of that and helping other people try to overcome those problems gets me outside of my own problems and in my self-centered state of mind. So absolutely, man, you know, I, I felt like I was the only one that was struggling in this way. And, you know, it, it created everything revolving around me and uh, it doesn't. And, w- and what's happened now with your um, interest in, in mixed martial arts and, you know, that is, has, have you been uh, reintroduced into that lifestyle now? Cause I, I know that you just competed in the tournament and you did quite well there. How's your How's your life now in general? Now that you've been sober for a while, you know, is it, just tell me a little bit about that if you can. Yeah, absolutely, man. Like it's just it's beautiful, you know. I find that the more uh, I'm, I've been able to love myself, the more I've sought out things that I love, you know, which uh, has brought me back to the the grappling martial arts specifically so you know from wrestling being my foundation I've uh I I got into jujitsu along the way you know during my active addiction just as a way to try to it was one of the ways uh I was looking to try to solve my problems without you know going to a place like AA and I was trying to find what disciplined me in the past that I could be physically active in that would get me away from the bars and things like that so after um, going through the 12 step process and, and finding love for myself again, I started being attracted more to the things that I loved like jujitsu, you know, which gave me a positive, healthy outlet where I could move my body and condition my, you know, my heart and, you know, clear my mind. And, and uh, I got introduced to judo through jujitsu and, uh, you know, it's just a healthy practice today because in the same way that, you know, you can go back to an AA meeting to help others, you know, um, I, I've been able to help people in jiu-jitsu and judo who want to learn wrestling, you know, and uh, they help me. And it's become that sa- a similar community um, for different reasons and different purpose, but it has that same bond where, you know, it's, uh, you know, the more you can make it about other people and helping them overcome their problems in life, the more powerful an environment you create and the stronger community that uh, is established. And, it, you know, uh, from my life experience, the gyms that do that the best are that the, you find the most happy, fulfilled uh energize people over any other other gym you know it's just a fantastic environment you can tell when you walk in it's a happy gym you know it's uh you know versus like a fighting gym ego like people are trying to outdo each other so it's uh, i really want to bring that philosophy of you know unself-centeredness you know other people you know centeredness to the you know the grappling world as well because i've seen it's 
uh, power in creating a strong community. There you go. And that's, that's um, something that I'm, I also have experienced is that the connection with others, whether it be, you know, in your case in the gym and with the, with the grappling community or just with people in recovery, you know, through 12 step programs, that's, is, that's been essential to, to, to my recovery, to my, the, uh, revival of my, my soul as it, as it were, because I mean, I was living a very isolated lifestyle, a lot isolated existence for many years in active addiction. And it's, it's a life now I don't really, uh, have never experienced before being almost overwhelmed by the level of support and connection that I get. I, I love to surf Chris. So my thing is surfing and I've, I've been able to get back into that. Like, like I'm a a young grommet. That's what they say. You know, that's how they describe young surfers. I feel like I've just started again and you know, everything is, is happening afresh and it's fantastic. So what's, what's um, on the cards for your fighting? Uh, What can we expect? Where are we going to see Chris Parker in, um, next few months slash years. Wow. Um, in, uh, in August, there's a master world tournament in the U S for jujitsu. So, uh, I'm competing in that. And, uh, you know, the long-term goal in 2024 is, uh, to, to make it to, to the Olympic scene in judo and, uh, I have a strong ground game and, you know, part of judo is, is stand up and throwing. So it's a long process and, uh, a, and a steep learning curve. But, um, you know, everybody that I know who, uh, who are, are high achievers in life, they, they continually remind me to challenge myself and to take on something bigger than what you think you can do. And uh, because that's what's going to make you grow the most and you'll be the happiest in life that you did it. Because at the end, you're not going to have any regrets and, and the what ifs, you know. And uh, so that's why I'm taking things like that on. And, uh, you know, I've just met so many tremendous people through it. So a lot of competition along the way for jiu-jitsu and judo to uh, toughen the skin for that competition. But, you know, all in all, like uh, my love is in, in the podcast and being able to you know, for grappling real and be able to create a community where we can uh, learn from each other because wrestlers have, there's something that uh, judo can teach them and jujitsu can teach us, you know, in like all these different ways, different coaches, different coaching styles, different athletes, different strategies, different uh, approaches to life uh, because they've come from different parts of the world. Judo is from Japan, jujitsu is from Brazil and uh, wrestling from everywhere. <laughs> so yeah. um it's a, it's a beautiful culture to be a part of and it get, I know that's something I can do my whole life so that's where my my focus is outside of my uh immediate relationship with my girlfriend um who's the love of my life um outside of that it's it's creating this community because that's a lifelong goal and then competing in judo and jiu-jitsu to grow myself as a person and be a better uh, be have more to give to that community 
Mate, well, best of luck with that all. I'm sure we'll see your name up in, in lights. I've just got one more question for you, Chris, while, while you're here. The sure. title of my uh, podcast, as you know, is The Gift of Addiction. And I'm asking this to all my guests. Do you think that addiction is a gift? And if so, why? Wow, what a, what a powerful question. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's not ironic that you say that it is, but it's like, I don't believe in coincidence, man. Not anymore. Um, I interviewed, uh, one of my old coaches in wrestling on Saturday and, uh, we got into a discussion where he described chemo as, as a gift. He's been blessed with chemo. Uh, the day before that I interviewed a guy who lost his leg and, uh, he's been a period jujitsu athlete you know, for years. And uh, he said he's blessed that he lost his leg. And when, and I believe that I've been blessed to, to be a recovering, recovered alcoholic uh, because, and I, I, I say those two other people because we've all come up with basically the same uh, conclusion that without those things happening in our life, we wouldn't have the appreciation for life that we do today you know, the preciousness of the time and the relationships uh, that of the people around us now are so much more important, so much more valuable because we are so familiar with what it, it's like without that, you know. So to really know both sides of the coin, it really, it for me, it really makes me appreciate um, the little things in life today. That's that's awesome because I had a uh, priest, a Catholic priest, on a few episodes ago who told me that uh, you know he interviewed he he sorry he uh, one of his friends suffered um, I can't remember the specific name of the condition but he was taken down with a serious disease and he he viewed the the, the man with the disease viewed it as the biggest gift that he'd been given because it had it forced him into a state of gratitude, just like, mm. you know, you, you mentioned there, Chris, Absolutely. man, I've been really honored having you on my program and I, you know, best of luck with everything and you know, all the best. Thanks Bertie. It's been a pleasure, man. I really appreciate you asking me on the show. Cool dude. We'll speak soon. Definitely.